Hey there, Sober Stories family. Your host, Beth Bowen, with a treat for you today. I got the opportunity to interview Sarah Potiker of She Stays Sober. Sarah is an HR director by day and a sober community advocate by night. She lives in Brooklyn with her newly wedded husband, and she shares candidly about the intersection of mental health and sobriety with her community. We had a great conversation about her personal experiences there, and she shares some really good nuggets about building your alcohol-free support network throughout the interview. I'd love to know your biggest takeaway when you finish the episode. Tag us and Sarah on social media when you share your thoughts. Now, let's get to the interview. Welcome to Sober Stories, a podcast dedicated to the power and change that can come from really, really great storytelling. We believe that stories are a massively transformational medium. When we can see ourselves in someone's story, when we share our own story, that's when the magic happens. Here, we tell stories of folks all across the sober spectrum with hope, honesty, inspiration, and probably a few sparkling water jokes. I'm your host, Beth Bowen, and it's a huge honor to be Chief Story Steward around here. With our guests, we pull back the curtain on the good, the bad, and sometimes the downright ugly of what it looks like to ditch the booze, changing the world one podcast episode at a time. Y'all ready? All right, my friends, welcome back to another episode of Super Stories. I am so, so excited to have Sarah here today. We have rescheduled this and <laughs> moved this call around so many times. And I, I wanted to tell you, like, I felt okay to do that with you specifically. I know one was me, one was you. We were really moving this around. But the way that you are so conscious about your energy and your time and like mental wellness at, at baseline made me feel this safety of, of saying, okay, like I could do this, but I've got a million things. I've got the kids homesick and just the way that you kind of present in the world and the way you share your experience really made me feel comfortable for doing that. So I thank you, but also I hope we can get a little more into that in a minute, but let's just give our listeners kind of a Cliff Notes version of you. Welcome to the podcast and tell us a little bit more about you, like who you do life with, where you live, any relevant information. Yeah, thank you. I'm very excited to be here. Um, just the Cliff Notes version of myself. I am 30. I'm living in Brooklyn. I've been here for the last I think, eight years now. Um, so I've been here for quite a bit. Um, I work in like, I work full-time and I'm a people operations director. So I have like a full-time job, um, that is completely like outside of the realm of, you know, like the sober presence, I guess that I have online. Um, but I I do have a like large component of my job now is like mental health as well. So like when you pointed that out, it is like, sometimes I don't feel like my job is like super relevant to, um, what I'm also doing kind of on the side, but then I'm like reminded, Oh, it is. So I, yeah. And I just got married in December. So that's like new for me. And that's pretty much, I think all the important stuff. Um, and then as far as just sobriety goes, I decided to try and get sober in March of 2020. Mm, oh my goodness. March of 2020, you yeah. say that date and I instantly have like a, a visceral reaction to the thought of March 2020. And I cannot even fathom 
anybody who got sober during the pandemic is like a superhero in my book, let alone somebody who like in March of 2020 was like, I think I'm going to change my relationship with alcohol during this very opportune time. But at the same time, I mean, what a, what a great time. So yes, you were just married. And I definitely want to get to that because I think that that's a really interesting topic in something that so many of us can't even fathom or, or have such limited experience or limited um, vision of, of the possibility of being a bride and getting married without drinking alcohol. One of the things that you, you said that I, and, and let's back up for our listeners and you are on Instagram, you are at she stays sober. And I thought it was interesting how you, you said this sober kind of platform, sober person on the internet. And I think that that really is like, touching the surface on this whole idea of like sober influencer in this very odd little world we've created in our corner of the internet. But for those who don't know you and those who are not familiar with your story, can you tell us more of the story of when you decided to change your relationship with alcohol? Yeah, absolutely. So in, this was the week, the really ideal time, the week before everything shut down in March. Um, (laughs) It was like that first weekend in March, I had gone out on Saturday and just was like absolutely destroyed, like at my worst with everything in terms of like drinking, drugs, just anything I could possibly get my hands on. And it was just like full blown all at once. And I woke up the next morning and this had been after like many, many, many months of like binging and doing those same things over and over again. And I was like, covered in bruises and I was violently ill and I just was like, I can't do this anymore. And I was very doubtful of that when I said it to myself, but I was just like, like literally looked at myself in the mirror and was like, you're trash. You can't do this anymore. This has to stop. And so I like got rid of all of the alcohol that was like in my apartment. Um, and then I was like, well, I don't know what I'm supposed to do now. Now what? Now what? <laughs> um, yeah. So I was kind of like, all right, cool. I got rid of all this stuff, but now I have no one to talk to. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had like given AA a try. It just like didn't align with, I think, like my own like principles. So it was just hard. Um, I did like, a, I do have like, good friends that are still obviously like in the program and that I rely on as like a support network and everything like there's no knock on it. Yeah. It just was not for me. Um, and so then I just started on my own, my personal Instagram account. I just started following. I didn't realize like sober influencers or like sober bloggers were a thing. So I just started looking up like hashtags on Instagram that were like sobriety, mocktails, like whatever I could think of that could pop. I'm like, maybe there's something out there. Like there's like something in the ether that is like good. And then I found all of these people and all of these resources. And I was just like shocked. Um, Not only at like the number of resources, but like the diversity of resources. So it was people of like all different ages, different experiences. Some people, it was just like, you know, they were just like sober curious and looking at their relationship with alcohol. Some people Mm. were completely sober. Some people were sober from everything. It was just such a shock to me. And then I like 
I think like as like the month went on because I needed help, I started like reaching out to people on those accounts, just like asking for like tips or things like that. And was like always so shocked when someone would <laughs> get back to me. Yeah. Um, and it was so helpful because it made me feel way more comfortable talking because I think it's like once you can like talk to like a stranger about something, you like feel so much more comfortable talking to anybody about mm-hmm. it. So it made me more comfortable telling like my close friends and my family. And probably I think it was yeah, like June or July of that year was when I started my like sober account. Um and I, it was called Sober Curious then. Hmm. And I started it then and I wanted to just have a space that was away from my personal Instagram. And at first, I think that it was because I didn't want people to see that I was following all these sobriety accounts. And Mm -hmm. because I know how people are, like they look at who you're following, what you're doing. I was like, some like whack aunt is going to see this and be like, did you know your daughter is following, you know, 40% of her (laughs) accounts are related to sobriety. Um, so I was like, let me just like make a different space for mm-hmm. this and like for this to live. And it was so helpful. Um, cause I didn't feel like I really needed to tell anybody. And then I didn't for like the first week or so say anything about who I was or why I was doing this. I just was just made an account to purely like find resources and make sober friends. Cause I had mm-hmm. none at the time. And as that like that obviously continued and then i like it i mean now it's like there's over 15,000 people on it which is like why i still cannot fathom why anyone would be like that interested in anything i have to say <laughs> but like it has been such a um nice way to give back to mm. the sober community that like gave so so much to me in those like first 6 months and like continues to every single day like i'm almost at 2 years and I like, I feel more supported every single day by that, but that's kind of like the ethos of how like she stays sober started and how the sober journey started. And yeah, as I finally like attached my face to it and felt more comfortable with it, it definitely um, became a lot more relatable for other people, which like I then understood because I was like, well, this is why I related to the people I was following. So yeah, I think it's just, it's like kind of like a weird learning experience. Well, and that's so funny that you said that, like, you were afraid of who was going to see who you were following. And I think that's so real. Like, if you see me, like, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of an open book. <laughs> you can like know my politics. You can know everything about me. You can know what trash TV I watch. If you go see my followers list, I probably like at some point in my life should make two separate accounts, <laughs> but I've had <laughs> friends who have told me they've been like, I love you. And I, love what you're doing. And I cannot like a single one of your photos on Instagram because then everything, all of my ads, all of everything that Instagram suggests, it's like all of this sober space. But I think it's so interesting that you said that, you know, you didn't know where to start and you didn't know yeah. where to look and and you knew this one thing didn't work, but didn't know what else was out there. And you started looking at hashtags. And that's something that I recommend to people often if they're like, how do I find people? How do I like, how do I connect with people? How do I see what's out there in the world? And it's like, as weird as it sounds like using hashtags, like sober curious or alcohol free or like sober curious movement, things like that are a great entryway into our little corner of the internet, which is this funny little space that 
it feels like to me, like everybody knows everybody and, and, you know, we're all saying, we're all saying the same thing and, and it can get repetitive. But then I remind myself that there's so many people out there who have no idea that this corner of the internet exists. They have no idea that there's this vibrant, diverse space of people doing this thing in different iterations and with different sets of values, different sets of rules for themselves and doing it in a way that works on their own terms versus like what they thought they had to be if they decided to be a person who doesn't drink alcohol. And I'm curious what it felt like when you first found other people who were choosing not to drink or at first when you went from this idea of like, okay, I don't fit into the 12 steps. So now what to realizing that there's so many people out there doing it so many different ways and you're not alone. Right. Um, the first, so like, again, hashtags going back to it. Some of the ones that I had searched was like, sober NYC, sober Brooklyn, sober, whatever. And I'm like, someone has to tag this at some point because I was really mad just realizing that just looking for sober sometimes would be a hashtag of someone completely wasted. Mm. And like it was being used ironically. So I was like, let me make this a little more specific. Dry January Um, is kind of like that too. It's a little uh, like hit or miss because a lot of people make fun of it. And so it's like that hashtag is not always super safe. Yes, dry January is definitely another rough one for sure. And it's, it's just like the sober one, like you get jokes or you get a video of someone like passed out and yeah. you know, yeah, they don't realize how insensitive it is, but it is. Right. And so as I started finding people that were using those hashtags, I like would message them and was just like, Hey, I'm in Brooklyn. I ended up finding two girls who were one neighborhood away from me and then the other one was like a couple neighborhoods away from me and i met with them for um this was the first summer i was sober we all met for coffee and mm. we had never like neither none, none of us the three of us had never met each other before um and just to have that meeting and just like talk about like our normal lives without having someone like asking you questions about your sobriety was, I think when I finally realized like what the importance is of having these relationships with people that are going through the same thing is because rather than the conversation being focused on like, are you okay? Like, which always is good intention if it's from like friends or whatever. But when you already are speaking to someone that's like going through the same struggle, you get to kind of like skip that part (laughs) of like, are you good? What's your problem? <laughs> All of this stuff. And it's just, are like, you okay if I drink this while you're here? It's like a hundred percent. Yes. And yeah. it was just, that was, and that was one of the funny, that was one of the first things I noticed because we like went out for coffee and I was like, this is the first time no one's asked me, do you care if I drink? Like, mm-hmm. well, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. we're out. Um, which is just wild in itself. Um, yeah. <laughs> whole nother and, topic right there. <laughs> yeah. Whole nother topic. But yeah, finally finding kind of like that baseline of just having something in common and then making friends from there was easier. So like after meeting, uh, the two of them, it was like, okay, I have a friend here. I have a friend here. Then it was like, okay, eight of us met up. And then it was like, that's just kind of, it was it just turned into a bunch of people introducing a bunch of people to each other. And now it's to the point where, I have so many people that are in 
the New York area and also in LA that it's like, I can just reach out to regardless of if I've met them or not. Like I might've only met them over Zoom, like who knows? Um, like perfect example is you. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I would never, I would never feel uncomfortable like reaching out to you about something. Yeah. And I think that that is like also something that's like very special within the community. Mm. But that's definitely what made me start feeling more comfortable was once I started building those relationships and realizing like, this really isn't that scary. <laughs> um, Cause it does feel kind of weird. Cause you're like, it's kind of like you're like the new kid in school and you're like trying to find like find friends um is how it kind of felt at first i was like am i seriously like dming people asking them to hang out with me like what is wrong with me but that's what it takes it though was, that's what it takes <laughs> yeah and when people now do it to me i'm like ecstatic like i love when someone messages me and it's like hey i saw you were in brooklyn or i saw you were at this store i actually live right near there um like could be me for a coffee and then it's like that's how I make another mm. like relationship. And then that person now has like an accountability partner in me. And like, that's just, it's a really nice cycle. Um, and like, it took a while <laughs> for yeah. sure, but that was how I was able to kind of like find community, um, mm. without having like a set meeting or a set group or, you know, yeah, it was kind of just like, DIY, yeah, like make your well, own meetings. <laughs> and, and I relate to so much of that now because, you know, four years in for me, I can just now say I have a pretty wide net of in-person alcohol-free friends. And mm -hmm. what you said about this, like you introduce somebody to somebody and then they introduce you to one person. It's like, we all know like one sober person. And it's like, once we can like start to piece together all the single sober people that we know, you start to realize first off that there's so many more of us than we think there are when we first get into this. And, and what you exactly what you said, it's like a totally different connection when you connect with somebody who is alcohol free for whatever reason, because no matter where we were on the spectrum of drinking and, and like, for me, it was like very much towards like the addiction side, but I can still connect with somebody who has just decided to go alcohol free because they feel better in a yeah. way that's completely different than connecting with a person who still drinks. And I just find it to be like this instant, like soul bond. Like we just, like you said, we don't have to like ask like the surface questions and we can get past the small talk and all of the bullshit because we just know like, okay, this person gets it to some degree on some level. And we both have to live in the world in a way that is counter culture as is. And so like, we can probably skip the small talk. We can probably skip the like, how's your family, how's work? And just like, get to like, how, how, what's like your passion in life? Like, <laughs> Tell me your, yeah. your biggest dream. Um, but I, you know, I think that 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 feels so lonely when you first quit drinking and you first decide to change your relationship with alcohol. And it seems like you're the only person in your circle and the only one of your friends. Tell me more about how you dealt with the stress of 2020 and the world while you were quitting drinking, while you're removing this massive coping mechanism that so many people use. Yeah, it was, it was really hard before I had connections and also the connections that I had made with these people in like the spring 
we, you still couldn't go anywhere mm-hmm. or do anything. Yeah. So like the first time I had met people in person, it was in the summer and it was only because we were allowed like to be outside at a cafe. Like that's the only reason we could meet in person. And because we live so close, we need to take public transportation. Um, but it was really, it was really lonely. Like the first several <laughs> months of it. Um, and I think what was what was most helpful to me, I think, was like looking toward, okay, what will this turn into? So I spent a lot of time reading, like, I think like all the like quintessential books, like Quit Like a Woman, Sober Lush, like anything you can think of. And I think especially by reading Sober Lush and like The Unexpected Joy of Being Sober, those are the two that I always like recommend to people that are sober curious because I feel like they give such a good, very just real yeah. story of I tried this. This is what happened. You don't have to do it if you don't yeah. want to, but <laughs> this is what I, this is what I did. And here's all the things that got better. And, you know, I kept, you know, people kept telling me like my life was going to be more boring. It actually wasn't. Um, and I think that those gave me kind of the foundation for being like more confident in my choice. Mm. So when the world like did open back up, I would be a little more like grounded. Um, but yeah, it was like a lot of like phone calls, like zooming with people or like FaceTiming with people I had just met and having those types of meetings early on meetings, like just conversations, (laughs) um, early on, like thinking of all Zoom as a meeting, having those types of conversations early on and like building a network of just people and resources that I could have once the world opened back up, like that Mm -hmm. kind of is what kept me I think on track Mm -hmm. and as well as like, I'm very, I post about this a lot. Like I'm very, very into writing, especially free writing. I think it's really important. And I think without that, I would not have been able to process like a ton Mm -hmm. of the things I was working through. And I also was like, luckily, even though the therapy office that I went to like closed down, they still did appointments virtually. So I Mm -hmm. did have the help from, my therapist when going through all of this, which was also just like such a privilege. And it is, I just felt so lucky that I was able to even like still have a job, retain insurance, Mm. have this person to speak to. And because she was kind of like my main human who would be able to give me totally objective feedback or if I needed to talk about how badly I was struggling with it, I can just tell her. And that was a lot easier than like, calling my mom and telling her I was having a hard time and then making her freak out and worry. And so, yeah, yeah. I think that's a really good point that sometimes it is easier. And you said this at the beginning too, sometimes it's easier to tell strangers or therapists or somebody who's external from your day-to-day life, all of this stuff, because they are, they don't have their own shit tied into it. Like they don't have their own worries and their own concerns and their own expectations. And I know for, for me too, like getting sober, I couldn't have my husband be the person who was like my accountability partner because inevitably I would screw up and the shame and like the feeling like I let him down or was creating more problems or it was like making somebody in my life worry. Like when you can have that external something to plug into. And like you said, like communities, it sounds yes. like it was a really big part of your, your early days, but like something to plug into somebody to connect with, but who isn't going to like be heartbroken if you have a slip up or who isn't going to 
shame you, whether it per- on purpose or otherwise, into like making this choice for yourself, I think is so powerful. And and I I hear what you're saying with the therapy, like the privilege and all that. And it I could rant forever about how I wish that that wasn't a, a privilege or a luxury. And, and of course it is. But you know, what I hear from you is, is community and really just like this sounding board, whether it was your therapist or your writing. And I think that those two pieces are really big pieces of mental health and, and mental wellness yeah. in general. So I know a lot of what you share is focused on mental health and you share mm-hmm. candidly about your experiences. So tell us a little bit about kind of the intersection of mental health and alcohol slash sobriety for you and both what that looks like and, and what kind of message you aim to share. Yeah, I think that this was something I did not notice that these two things were connected for the longest time. Um, I have had like issues with depression and anxiety probably for like 15 years at this point. Um, and then like PTSD for like the last 10. Mm. And I always like my response to those feelings was always drinking. So it was like, if I was depressed, I drank, if I was anxious, I drank. And I thought that was like, okay, you're helping yourself because you're ridding yourself of these feelings, not realizing that, I would be 10,000 times more anxious or 10,000 times more depressed for the two days after Mm. that I decided to like drink it off. So then obviously I would just drink again to get it to go away. Um, And it took, yeah, it took a really long time for me to even understand that once I got sober, um, Mm. like I had to really feel the effects of how they intersected and how it impacted the other um like in college i had like horrible mental health issues but it's like i went to a state school so like i wasn't gonna not drink and yeah. like it was <laughs> like it was part of like who i was and like yeah. you know it's like you don't even you're like there is i can't not drink like that's oh, like yeah. a question yeah in college your head. it wasn't even an option I, and i was no. like a, i was like a good kid and everybody drank. yeah i would have yeah. been so weird which yeah there's a lot to unpack in that, but carry on. Oh, mental health. hundred <laughs> percent. Um, and then I probably had like one of the like like worst episodes or like flare up of PTSD right before I had decided to get sober, which was why my drinking and like was just straight back to like binging and like using drugs and just all, like everything that was like anything I ever did it was like okay let's do it all at once all the time yeah um well I think that's pretty common with trauma too yeah a hundred percent and then I was like <laughs> I just feel so bad all the time and I was also like I was on a ton of medication so mm. this is also what like shocks me about the mental health like sobriety intersection is like not once by like my psychiatrist and this is different from my therapist like i had they're they're at the same like company clinic but they never asked like about drinking habits um and they never said you know while you're taking this this actually really increases the risk of you blacking out like 
So I have, I have so many years of like blackouts and like, yeah, maybe I, I did it myself with just the alcohol, but I can guarantee you it had something to do with the medicine that I was on and it happened quicker than it, I think would have been someone that like was not taking yeah. Wellbutrin or something. Right. Um, well, and, and that's nothing to say about what it does to make it ineffective too. <laughs> when, oh, when we exactly. have these mental, mental health medications and then we mix it with alcohol, it completely like renders it. It depends on what right. it is, but, but in many yeah. cases it's completely inert. And it, of course we see the labels too. Like it'll probably say, if I like thought to 100%. look back on the label, it like probably says that, but who never, you know, we always look past that. We yeah. always just ignore that. And that's so wild to me that it was never brought up and never pointed out that that might be a problem. Yeah, it just, it wasn't. And I, it, I think it's like still like interesting to this day. Like now my psychiatrist like knows I don't drink, mm-hmm. but it's like, I, I think I just thought like maybe he, I don't know, like <laughs> say like something like, oh, well, now your medicine's going to be effective or something. Or like if when I was telling him that like things were not effective and I was feeling no different or no better like that that wasn't a question like oh are you heavily drinking or are you used like any of that that could be preventing it it was more of like are you taking it at the same time every day are you this are you that like and like that was where they were looking for the problems Mm -hmm. and yeah like i just once i finally stopped drinking and then like gave myself time to actually look into okay like how can I make this the most effective and like what's the healthiest way to do this within like three weeks I noticed how different I felt because I was like my medicine's working (laughs) like I was noticing (laughs) I was like wait a second like these are all the things that I've been waiting for to feel like and I've kept being like I had to have my medication switched a thousand times because it just like wasn't working. And I'm always so curious, like it was probably the drinking the whole time. Like, like, yes, it does take a ton of time to find like your perfect, like whatever, uh, you know, milligrams of this and that, like, I totally get that. But I also think that if drinking would have not been part of the equation, I am sure that balance would have been found much earlier and it's like, it's just a shame that yeah. it's not, you know. Well, the, it's like, how is this not our very first question when we walk into a doctor's office or into a therapy? And and not like it is on the form, but everyone lies on the form. Why is there not a mm-hmm. face-to-face conversation with a care provider? Yeah. And and I've had similar experiences with, with different care providers. And I think, I, I wonder, I'm curious about, part of it is that like you and I, we don't necessarily present as somebody who has like a stereotypical issue with drinking. And though these providers have this information, they have this understanding. I think we all still go into it with these really interesting blinders about how we perceive alcohol, especially if we're still using it. So, so some of the most interesting Mm -hmm. reactions I've gotten or the most interesting, like gaps in services specifically around like Hey, are you drinking? Hey, this might be causing your problems have been with other providers who I know do drink. And on the flip side, I've been there. I've been the provider who drinks, who misses things because I have my own shit around the substance and I have my exactly. own perceptions. I have my own thoughts and beliefs and, and understandings of who does and who doesn't have a problem with it. And I think that that's so interesting that you said that 
I wonder if, you know, had this been addressed a long time ago, if I would have found that better match sooner. So I, I think it's really, I really admire the way you share about this and, and you're really candid on your, your page. What has that been like kind of going back to this idea of sober influencers, sober platform, what has that experience been for you, both the good, the bad, and the ugly? Yeah, I think that it's made, I mean, like initially it made me feel like way less alone. Um, So that was like the initial, I think, piece of it that was like so important to me and felt like it was changing. And I also felt like because I was seeing so many other people be so open about certain things, I was like, let me just try it. And like, Mm -hmm. you know, if it like doesn't work, it doesn't work. And then I think also on the flip side, seeing a lot of people that were just showing like how great it was. And I was Mm. like, this is, this is not how this is. Yep. I think I was like, I just want to (laughs) provide more of like an honest kind of experience with it. Mm. And like that definitely happened more as I'm much more like conscious of that as there's like, as I got like a significant following, because I was Mm. like, I don't ever want anyone to think that like, this is this like beautiful rainbow journey. And I stopped drinking one day and everything got better. Yeah. Um, Just snap the fingers, wave the magic wand. It's all better. Right. And so especially now, like I think that the focus on mental health is, it's just so important to me because I want it to, I want people to understand that like, if you are having trouble with your mental health, like maybe it has something to do with drinking. Cause it's like, Mm. I wish I knew that like (laughs) earlier on. And I think like, the good that's come out of it is so many people have like reached out the way that like I used to reach out to people. Mm -hmm. And it's like having someone like reach out to you and say that, like, you know, I was feeling like shit today and but then I saw your post and it like made me rethink things. How did you like get yourself to like flip from this thought to that? And like having actual conversations with people that are being like genuine and they're curious and they're not judging you Mm -hmm. has been like such a beautiful part of this experience. The ugly part of this experience (laughs) has been the like wild judgment from um, people on the internet. It's just Mm, how they are. Um, Love those internet people. (laughs) Just, you know, a lot of like off-color comments, messages, um, emails, which is expected. And that really doesn't like bother me. Mm. I like typically will like just respond to that person and be like, sorry, you think that and then like block them. Mm -hmm. Um, but like what bothers me the most, I think like the ugly of it is that my like husband's side of the family is like mortified that I share these things. Yeah. Mortified. <laughs> yeah. And like they bring it up in conversation all the time. <sighs> They're like, why does she do that? Why does like, don't you? And I'm like, I'm right here. <laughs> and it's like, I have great relationships with so many of them, but then there's like this pocket of them. And it's all people that are much older. Yeah but they're just so judgy and they cannot wrap their heads around why someone would like so openly put these like negative thoughts and like what they think are like very shameful feelings out in public. And that I think has been honestly like the ugliest Mm. like part of it um, is seeing 
that even though these people are family, they are not supportive um, and they are very confused by it. And it's interesting because my family wasn't like that. Um, They were kind of like, yeah, like this is good that you're, (laughs) you know, you're doing that and you're, um, you're sober and whatever. And then like, as it's grown, it's been just like really nice because it's like my family and my friends have messaged me saying like, Hey, I like have been sober for the last like three months because of just following you and then following other people that follow you. And I just like wanted to let you know how it was going. And like, I have some questions and it's like, I have friends now that are, they've been sober for like almost a year because they finally had like a friend that was being like honest mm-hmm. their age that had a drinking problem. Cause that was like very taboo when you're like yeah. late twenties, I guess right. when this all started, especially in New York. And yeah, like that I think has been another like nice part of it. But yeah, I think the like most rewarding part is definitely being able to help people. And then the part that I'm just kind of like over is <laughs> when people are like, why do you do this? And I'm like, well, and, and I think <laughs> you and I are similar age brackets. And, and I think that those of us in this age are like kind of on the cusp between like Gen Z they're, they know what's up. Like they are yeah. talking about their feelings. They are smashing shame. Like they want to demystify all of this, but then like the people older than us are still in that space of keep it to yourself. Don't show weakness. Don't let anybody see the the flawed parts. And uh, when somebody asks me what I, what I do for work, I'm like, okay, that's a complicated question. The short answer is I spill my guts on the internet. Like that's what I do for work. <laughs> and I am absolutely with you. Whenever somebody is like, don't you feel embarrassed or don't you feel ashamed of sharing that thing? I'm like, I would, if I didn't have 20 DMS after I hit post that say, Oh my God, me too. I thought I was the only person or somebody yeah. say, I needed to read your post today because I thought I was the only person who did X, Y, Z, or I thought I was the only person who felt this way. And I think that there's so much to be gained. And for me, it's, it's, it's both, it's, it's both a give and a take because not only do I do this knowing that somebody needs to read what I say, or somebody needs to hear a story I share. And, and really that's the ethos of sober stories is somebody needs to hear your story and realize that they're not the only person. So not only do I do it for that, but this catharsis and this like processing of shame and this ability to move this experience through my body in a way that feels really productive and in a way that feels really like this act of service and this ability to give back. Not only does it it impact other people, but it also helps me. And and for me, so much of what keeps me sober now that I don't drink and, and now that I'm at where I am now is this idea of paying it forward, of opening doors for other people, of letting them see another way of doing things that they may not have thought of, or they may not have known was available to them. And, and, and for me, I, I came to this whole thing after seeing somebody else doing it a different way, very much like you didn't fit into kind of these traditional modalities, saw one person on the internet being a person who doesn't drink alcohol without taking a label or without choosing to, to, you know, have any certain sort of rules around it. And so it is, it's interesting though, to have that fine line of, 
this is, is how I operate in the world. And this is why I share the things I do, but there's also this cultural taboo of talking about these things, of saying like, oh yeah, I used to have a drinking problem. It was real cute on the internet. And then, (laughs) then like aunt Karen sees it and she's like, oh my God, why would you say that? And it's like, aunt Karen, I said it because it's my truth and it feels good for me to say it. And somebody needed to hear me, but aunt Karen's like, oh no, we don't do it that way, honey. Like that is not how we do it. But I think what I come back to is like, this, we are more whole and we are more well when we have this layer of like ability to be candid and this ability to say like, this is me flaws and all, and, and I'm still a whole human and I am worthy and, and I'm messed up and screwed up, but like the flaws in me, see the flaws in you. If, if we want to like use some yoga terms here, <laughs> namaste, like the light in me sees the light in you. And we can be this kind of flawed version of ourselves together and I'll be a little bit more well. I was, yeah, yeah just kind of my, my, my long-term rant there. But one of the most interesting things I think in your story is that you are a newlywed and yes. you <laughs> got married and planned a wedding sober. So tell us the story of that. How did it go? What was that like? So interestingly enough, um, I got engaged in December of 2019. So I was planning my wedding with the intention of getting married in 2020. Um, that obviously didn't happen. So when I was like looking to go pick out, I was still drinking. Like when I was going to pick out venues, all of that stuff. Um, like the day I was actually thinking about this before we talked, like the day that I found my venue, I, and this was all the venues. The second you walk in the door, they're handing you a glass of champagne and like, you're whining and dining. Kind of like, yeah. And you're like, okay. Like you're just used to it at this point and it's like, normal. Okay. Karen, it's 10 AM. <laughs> yeah, literally. Like, I think one of the places that I saw was at like nine. Yeah. And I was, it was like, what do you want a beer or this? And I'm like, and I was like, I'm still hungover. So it's like, that was like, so the whole experience of like choosing the venue was like, obviously fun. Um, and, but it was just like the drinking part of it. Like now when I look back on it, it was such a big part of that whole day. Cause it was like, that's how you know they would want to talk to you and like whatever and then what did we do after i signed my contract went out and got absolutely shit faced like that was us celebrating like the celebration was my mom my sister and one of my best friends all of us going and blacking out and meeting up with my other friends like in the city in philadelphia because i that was where like i grew up so i got married there um and it, it's like so funny to think of how like that's how it started because then I just when I decided to get sober that was the first question everyone asked me was what are you gonna do about your wedding now and I was like still gonna get married I was like what do you mean what am I gonna do about my wedding because I was gonna I was originally supposed to get married in January of 2021 mm. and I was like what do you mean and they were like well you're gonna drink by then right and I was like, I don't, I don't know. And I was like, also, these are weird. Like they were just questions I wasn't expecting. Hmm. Um, but it was like the first thing when someone would find out that I was sober and they knew I was engaged that they would ask was what are you going to do with your wedding? Like, it was like the world was going to end. And I seriously, for a long time was like, 
like, should I like, I literally, I think the thought in my head as dumb as the sounds was like, maybe I can learn how to drink by then. Like I had a goal of like, maybe by then I can get my shit together mm. so I can like have fun at my wedding. Mm. And that was like such a twisted way of thinking of things. But then it was like, as I continued to stay sober and then once like the world opened back up and like, I was able to like go out and realize like, I am having a much better time sober, <laughs> like out with all of the same people that I was always out drinking with than I was when I was drinking. And like, mm. I feel better. Like I'm more present. I'm not depressed when I go out. I'm not anxious when I go out. I'm not. And if I do get like that, I just leave rather mm. than like, drinking myself into an oblivion and knowing that and like because I was so confident in I think being around other people prior to my wedding and also like thank god it got pushed back for a year because <laughs> I don't think I would have near had nearly the same amount of yeah confidence Practice. and I I was yeah and I was also really worried that like the wedding at that point if it did happen in January 2021 I was like that's going to be your relapse like I was like mm -hmm. sure of it um and i and i also felt like like no one was gonna stop me mm -hmm. if it was i'm like people say they care but i'm like i don't really think that this is my wedding they're like oh it's your wedding yeah and i was like nervous of that mm. um but then like by the time my wedding rolled around i was so open with everybody about it i gotten like so much more comfortable talking about it that like those questions weren't like asked anymore yeah and so like my like husband had a signature drink and like i had a signature drink mine was like a mocktail his was like i don't know what it's some like old-fashioned or something like that everything was gone from mine like everyone was like i love that you had that like yeah. and all these people wanted like non-alcoholic champagne like mm. i was just like shocked at like how people were because we had you know especially like getting ready with the bridesmaids like i feel like every wedding i've been in it's like you're drinking from like eight in the morning until you're ready. And I had asked all of them, I was like, are you all okay if there is just no alcohol in the like bridal suite? And I was like, if you like need it, we can figure it out. But I was like, I'm more than happy to just get like alcohol free, like mocktails, I'll handle it, all this stuff. And they were like, oh yeah, we'd way rather do that. Like, I don't want to, they're like, I hate drinking that early in the morning. And, it is, and these are all people that drink, like, and then like two of who have been sober since. Um, so they were obviously like happy about it. Mm -hmm. And so like, that was good. Um, and that made me feel a lot more, I think like comfortable the day of, because the way the day started wasn't like with mimosas. And like, it was very clear to all my, like all my vendors knew I was sober. Like the people mm. at the venue knew I was sober and they were so kind about it. Like every time there was like, cause they asked like, who doesn't drink? And I had told them it's like pointed them out. And like, so they made sure for like all of the toasts and everything that all of those people either had like a flute full of water or of non-alcoholic champagne. They asked yeah. them what they preferred. And that was like really, hmm. really nice. <laughs> um, well, and I'm thinking like as the guest too, every time I'm hand, I'm, I, I don't feel often triggered to want to drink anymore, but like Sometimes when I'm at a wedding and they hand me a flute of champagne that I otherwise would not have gone picked up for myself, I'm like, oh, well, that's interesting. It's right there. Nobody yeah. would notice. And and like just the mere, it's it's so wild if we think about like how many people out in the world don't drink in that at these events that we're just 
handing out alcohol to everybody. And, and this is such a common practice. But one of the things you said that I thought was really interesting is that like this thought of maybe I can practice and maybe I can drink by the time of my wedding being this like dumb thought. I don't think that's dumb though, but I, because I think that's, I think that's how we are programmed to, to both believe that not drinking at our wedding is like, we're losing out on something, but also this idea of like, I just got to get better at this. I got to like take some space from it and then maybe I'll be better at it. And then maybe everything in my life will be all hunky dory. And that's, there's so much of that that is like deprogramming our understanding of what the fun feels like and what celebration feels like. And I, I can picture very vividly, like all the weddings I've ever been to in my life, including my own and how central alcohol is to every single one of those. Yeah. And in my own wedding, I remember the, the story of the wedding was that we were so busy and pulled so many different directions by a photographer, by like cake cutting, all this stuff that I never got to finish a full drink because I would like put it down and then lose it. And the busyness and like being pulled from it was like really the story of my wedding. And I would do it a million different ways than we did it. And back in the stone age, but just this idea of like, one of the things that I remember about my wedding is that I never finished a drink and that it was like annoying and weird. And, and then of course, like every single wedding I've ever been to where I've just been blackout drunk, it's like the way we have twisted this substance into how we perceive what is otherwise like this really beautiful celebration of two people we care about and this wonderful day in their life that it's an honor to be invited to. And, and we've like linked alcohol so tightly with it. And you get champagne at the bridal shop, you get champagne when you tour the venues and, and just how we've interlinked alcohol and celebration and weddings specifically. I know so many people who cannot even wrap their head around the idea of getting married without drinking, whether they're currently sober or not. And and that can be, I think, a fear point for people. So if they're not yet married and they're like, well, I just, I can't quit drinking because I can't ever imagine going to my wedding and not having champagne. So if somebody, if, if somebody were to say that to you, what would you say in response? I think I would just like encourage them to think about like where they are now and like if they are sober it's like do you like do you like go throughout life expecting you know to be like drinking at other events like or like have you been to other events where like it is centered around drinking and you haven't drank like that for me was like a huge tool like being able to I went to a ton of weddings sober before mine and learning that that was like actually a great experience and I was so much more present throughout the entire thing. Like, I think like, that's kind of like what I would like challenge someone to think about is just like, what do you want out of that day? Mm. Like if you're feeling, if you're sober and you're feeling comfortable and you feel like you are more present and you are in all of these other areas of your life, but you're still hesitant about this one day, why? Like, yeah. Why are you hesitant about it? And is it just because you're trying to like fit into like the social norm because you feel like, yes, everyone expects me to drink at my wedding? Is it because you don't know how to be around like a big group of people drinking? And I think like you kind of have to like go backwards from there. It's like, well, why do I feel like it would be impossible to not drink at my wedding? Like that's what I had to do. Like I I felt like it was impossible because there was not one celebration my entire life, even when I was a child growing up, whether it was a wedding, like a 
christening, a funeral, which is like not really a celebration, but like yeah. any like big event with a lot of people, everyone was shit faced mm. and like just more drunk than normal. Like mm-hmm. at these events, it was like weddings. I always just expected like everyone's going to be real weird. Like when I was younger <laughs> and then like, now I know why. Yeah. But it's just, it's weird. It almost like these events, I think like release this weird like inhibition like Mm. about drinking and you're just like i can drink so much more because it's a this it's a wedding so this is fine and it like normalizes especially for people that drink heavily like for me i remember like it normalized how i felt i was like now everyone's as drunk as i am like nobody knows um except i'm like twice as drunk as i normally get so there's there's that right you can like but they don't know yeah but they don't know yeah i'm just gonna puke in the bathtub after this it's fine Absolutely. Yeah. But that's what I would say is like, you have to kind of like, like, why are you asking yourself that question? And like, why do you feel that way? Um, well, and I would think back to like, let you know, I think back to like newly sober Beth and I'm like, if she was getting married then <laughs> and she had to be in that situation and she was nervous about it, like, I hope she would have the courage to say like, nobody's fucking drinking. <laughs> if I'm not going to drink and it makes me feel uncomfortable, nobody's drinking. And yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's your day and it's, it, it, we get so wrapped up in it being about so many other people and all the other people in our life. But like, if you're feeling uncomfortable with the thought of alcohol being around, like you have the option to remove it. Right. And it's like, and if people don't want to come because of that, then like, all right, are those people you want in your life? Like that was one of the things, like my wedding wasn't a dry wedding, Mm -hmm. but like if it was, I would say like 80% of people still would have come. But I can tell you that that there are a ton of people that probably would be like, what? No, I can't like do it do that without alcohol that would like be because like you're just conditioned yeah. to think you have to that would be the ultimate test though because like exactly like you said that if we wanted to talk about relationships for another hour we could but there are going to be people like those 20 percent of people who are not there to ride with you after you quit drinking you just like knock that all out at once <laughs> in one event and then never have to experiment with that and figure that out as you go you know maybe food food for thought y'all if you're listening and you're about to get married <laughs> really uh, yeah. filter out your friends really quickly but oh, all right yeah. sarah one of the last questions i ask in our interviews is if your story were to be published what would it be titled and what kind of story would it be? What kind of book would it be? Yeah. Um, so I have been like in the process on and off of like writing and trying to like gather <laughs> my thoughts about like, what should, th- like, should this book cater more towards like sharing a story people can identify with or should it center towards sharing other people's stories? Hmm. Like what impacted me the most as I was reading these like, quit lip pieces and like also the pieces on mental health and just like having that in consideration. So like right now my writing's all over the place, but it's like, there's an intention and like, I don't know when I'm going to like get to it, but like the five, I've, there's been like so many like titles and things that I've thought of, but like the one that I've stuck with for the last, I think like six months is sober hits different. Mm. So I've had like, that has been what I've left the word the like google doc titled as and yeah right now it's a lot of kind of you know it's like i'll think of something and then just like nothing goes in order like this needs to be like organized um but yeah i think it's like i'm at the point now just trying to figure out like how to 
how it will best serve a reader. Mm. Um, and because like, yes, I do feel like there's importance in like sharing like my own story. So someone like knows that this is coming from someone that like went through it, but it's also like, what are the things I wish I had when I was doing this? Like, what resources did I do? I wish I had, like, I wish I knew there was like 50 other types of groups I could have joined and like Mm -hmm. those types of things. So just kind of giving more of like a, like tips on, I think of like how to communicate and find community is I think a lot more helpful to people. And I think that that's probably like the route that it would take, but like also like intertwining my own experience. But that's kind of like where I'm at now with it. I love um, it. It's I'm, an, an actual <laughs> baby so, book in the works. And when, it when it's at the top of the New York Times list in a couple oh, of years, gosh. we can say that we heard it first here. I know. If only. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to manifest that out into the world and like knock on all the wood I've got for you. And I love that. I will be Thank the you. first to share it when it is published. Amazing. <laughs> Sarah, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your story and talking about some of these hard things that maybe Aunt Karen doesn't want us to talk about. But I know that somebody listening needs to hear you share your story of getting married, of struggling with mental health, of just finding a different way to live. So I really appreciate your time and your story. I know our listeners are going to want to connect with you. So how can they find you? What do you have going on in your world? Do you have any projects or anything coming up? Yeah. So easiest way to find me is Instagram. Um, It's she stays sober. And also I am very responsive to my emails. So you can, it's the same name. She stays sober at gmail.com. That's probably the other thing I recommend. (laughs) And then I hope in the second half of 2022, like I bought the domain for my website, but have not like done anything yet. So I'm hoping that that is built out a little more because I also am like in the process of getting like certified to be like life coach slash like counselor. So I'm hoping that like once I'm finished with that, the website can be a source of like accessible Mm -hmm. tools for people. Like I don't want this to be something because I feel like so many people don't get help because it's like super costly. And that's like what the goal of that piece of it would be for me is just to create something that's really accessible. And that's why I wanted to try and like build my Instagram as much as I could Mm -hmm. before this all happened. Um, But yeah, so hopefully in the, in the back half of the year that will actually like, I'll have like (laughs) done all my work properly and like passed and then can launch something like that and just like give back to the space that like gave Mm. me like everything for nothing like so yeah very exciting i i love the heart of that access and service to others and i think that that is so needed and so necessary in the space so y'all keep an eye out for she stays sober.com whenever yeah whenever the the website is live but sarah thank you so much for joining us today i hope you have a beautiful day there in brooklyn and we will talk soon thank you Thank you for listening to Sober Stories with me, Beth Bowen, and our guest, Sarah Pottiger. Sarah's candid take on this whole sober thing, especially as it relates to mental health, has left me thinking for days. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to us if you took a second to rate and review Sober Stories wherever you get your podcasts. This helps us tell more stories and change more lives one killer review at a time. 
And if you had a big aha moment from today's show, we'd love it if you shared with us on social media. You can find us at We Are Sober Stories on most platforms. Go ahead and tag us so we can hear your biggest takeaways. And hey, you never know when we'll send a little thank you. Until next time, y'all.